This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. We're talking travel on 2NURFM 103.7 and Sally Lucas is with us again today. Sally, we've got a rather interesting way of going cruising coming up. We have, and it's it's new for Australia. Um, it's a company called Oceana Cruises, and at the moment they have three vessels. Um, two were built in 98, one in 2000, and they were both, ref- or the three of them were all refurbished over 2007-8. Now, to give you an idea of the size, they're probably about the size of like the Pacific Princess, about 30,000 um, tonnes. But what the difference is with it, they've got actually quite a, um, a good draft so they can get into sort of still some less accessible places for your large cruise liners, if we can put it that way. And the other good thing about them is it's, it's absolute five-star cruising absolute five-star, but they advertise no tux, no ball gown. They want you to have that five-star, you know, accommodation standard of food and service without feeling that you've got to get all doled up to the nines, you know. And I think people want a relaxed way of travelling these days. I mean, the the style of clothing is relaxed, you know, smart but relaxed, you know. So that's I, keeping up to date with the way people feel about Well, I think it is, and I think lifestyle. that's a smart move, actually. And um, they actually have a ratio of about 1.7 guests to one staff member so that's quite incredible so for a ship of that size normally it might take about a thousand but they only take just over 600 to give you an idea all the cabins and they call them really staterooms because they are bigger than cabins are, are quite spacious incredibly spacious even the inside staterooms most of the outside staterooms are at least 70 percent of them particularly on the higher decks have all got their own balconies so they're all done in beautiful teak they've got beautiful bedding with duvets and they have a twice daily maid service you've got 24-hour room service you've got a big 20-inch flat screen tv you have phone, you have a hairdryer, you know, the old days you used to think, oh, what voltage is it on the ship? Do I have to get an adapter and pack my hair? You know, silly little things you might think, but they're important when you're travelling. The less you have to carry with you, the better, obviously. Um, and they have the most amazing dining facilities on board, and it's all open sittings. So none of this having to think in advance, do I want first and second sitting and I can't get what I want and who do I want to sit with? So you can choose every day who you'd like to sit with, what restaurant you want to eat in. Um, they have a French master chef on board. Um, there is an Italian restaurant as well. Um, there's sort of all-day dining if you want it. Um, they have on, up on the Sunday something quite unique. They've built built-in eight cabanas into that glassed area that you often get up on one of the top decks towards the bow. And you can book a cabana just for a day, for a hundred US dollars a day. You might have a special anniversary, you want to entertain a few friends, whatever, and you have a waiter for the day who will just bring you whatever you want when you wanted aperitifs and you know, finger food, whatever. So it's an incredible way, I think, of cruising that's going to appeal to a lot of people that they're getting this five-star impeccable service. Um, all your staff are European as well. Um, the world voyages are in US dollars, but they've got a range of cruises out of Australia that are based in Australian dollars. And they're costing, even on the world voyage, it's, would you believe, fully booked for this year, coming out from Rome to Australia to Singapore's 32 days, then you can add on the other leg. But they'll be repeating this for next year for anyone that's interested in the brochure will be out soon but like it was about 260 US dollars a day well for five star cruising all your meals entertainment you know I don't think that's expensive you can stay at a hotel for that and not have anything included you know so when you bring it down to that sort of level I don't think that's expensive for five star cruising and it's certainly a lot less expensive than a lot of other 
um, five-star cruise companies out there in the marketplace. As I said, they're coming down here this year, which is fantastic. Um, even though that voyage is booked out, you can take advantage of some voyages out of here. And New Zealand has become, I don't know, the flavour of the month for cruise companies down here, and they're all doing these incredible, like almost circumnavigations of New Zealand out of Australia, which is a wonderful way to see New Zealand as well, to see the coastline and the mountains and the sounds and the straits. And, you know, it's, it's beautiful, as we all know. But then they also continue on after January, and they're doing a range of Asian cruises, which is quite fascinating as well. And then they end up back over um, in um, the Caribbean area for the season there. And what I thought was really fascinating there, there's a cruise out of Miami that actually goes all the way down through the Caribbean and then actually goes up the Amazon as far as Manaus. I mean, that is just amazing, isn't it? That I sounds mean, like a good combination. Yes, it would Very be. You're sort of getting the best of both worlds. I mean, they're going to places like uh, St. Croix, St. Bart's, St. Lucia, uh, Tobago, and then you end up cruising the Amazon River, um, Santarem, uh, Boca de Valeria, Manaus, um, and yes, back up the Amazon to Devil's Island, French Guiana, Bridgetown and Barbados, Dominica, Antigua, the Virgin Islands, Dominican Republic, Caicos Islands, and back to Miami. Fantastic. It's a 26-day voyage. So they're doing some interesting itineraries. So anyone out there who's thinking, oh gosh, you know, we can't get up the Amazon on a cruise vessel, you know, other than taking your life at risk and going up the Amazon like some people do in canoes. Uh, you can do this in a five-star luxury way, but still be in a relaxed atmosphere. And, and keep I, away from the piranhas. And- absolutely. <laughs> and all those anacondas and things like that that they have over there. <laughs> we have some just as bad, though, don't we? I mean, we have some of the worst nasties in the world, so we can't really... Um... Ours are very well behaved. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> very well behaved. So, yeah, Oceana Cruises, just consider them when you're next thinking of cruising. We're very lucky to have them come down here and you know cruise out of here. And then even if you're not cruising out of here, you might want to do the Lion Voyage next year or you might want to consider the Amazon Adventure. And they've got other South American itineraries and Caribbean itineraries as well. So quite a good range. To NURFM 103.7, we're talking travel. Sally Lucas, when it's cold, where should we be thinking of going? Well, it's been cold enough here this winter, Jane. I think it's the winter we haven't had for a number of years, isn't it? It uh, certainly seems oof, like that. Yes, a bit icy. Uh, I thought we'd talk about Japan in winter. Um, a lot of Aussies go there skiing now. It's become one of the most popular destinations because of the fabulous powder snow. But, of course, Japan has more to see than just ski and snow. Um, it's got wonderful wildlife viewing in winter, which people may not be aware of. So there's actually a tool put together that goes and does wildlife, as, as even as much as going out um, onto the ocean as well, even in winter. So it's just really fantastic. And they have lots of festivals as well, lots of fabulous birds, which could astra- you know, attract Australian bird watchers because they're unique to Japan. So it's something you're not going to see here. Um, they've got an endangered a, a fish owl called the Blackiston's fish owl and has a two metre wingspan as the world's largest owl. I didn't know that. And that's just one of the things you can see on Hokkaido Island in Japan. But even that, they've got a sea eagle, which is their giant raptor, and it apparently migrates from Hokkaido to, to Siberia. So, you know, that's quite an incredible way to fly it, isn't it? Then you can do an icebreaker cruise amongst the drift ice in the Sea of Okotsk where you get to see the seals and the icebergs and people don't think 
that. They don't realise how close sometimes Japan is to Russia and close to those northern seas that still get icebergs. Um, so you can do that. You can do a steam train ride across the snowfields of Koshiro and visit five winter festivals all in one nine-day tour. Winter festivals sounds yes, fun which too. Is, yes, and some of the things you can do, just to give you an idea, they you've got the snow monkeys, of course, which we often see on Honshu Island who bathe, you know, in these wonderful hot springs. They look very relaxed, don't they? No, why not? And a lot of National parks, as I said, they have other other um, ducks and woodpeckers and all sorts of things like that. They do have a special itinerary, um, a company called Tours Gallery, who are based in Brisbane. They just specialise mainly in Japan. They do do other areas as well, but their real expertise is Japan. And they've got an itinerary going to the Sapporo Snow Festival as well. But other things that are, they include other festivals. You've got the Sunkyo Icefall Festival. You do, you do the Sea of Okotsk, like we said, um, and you do a Turo Festival. There's a craft festival there's it's just amazing the itinerary is quite extensive and it goes in february so if anyone's thinking of doing japan i thought what a lovely way to do it and you know to have a winter holiday you know with a difference because it's incorporating wildlife you're still going to see snow and ice and the ice making festivals you know they do all those beautiful ice sculptures and so japan really has got a a wealth of um, wildlife and a wealth of interest in the winter months it's not just all snowed in and there's nothing to do so i thought it'd just be worth considering is something different so in a place where the ice sculptures don't melt during well, the day that's, they're not going to melt are they <laughs> and also for anyone who's considering skiing if you don't want to go as far as going really north which a lot of the ski fields are like Nisako and so on just remember where the winter olympics once were in, in japan at hakuba it's only a three and a half hour train ride from tokyo and you still get fabulous snow there and i had some clients come back last year who said look we really don't want to travel as far is there anywhere closer to tokyo where we can ski well that's it that's hakuba so consider that if you want to have a bit of time in tokyo and not have to fly to another area you know to ski so it makes it you know two flights and connections and sometimes with um, tokyo airport haneda isn't used as much anymore it's mainly narita and if you're going north you've often got to get a bus all the way from Narita across to Haneda because all the domestic flights still use Haneda and that's a good four hour transfer just to get from one airport to the other. So Hakuba is just a consideration that you could fly into Tokyo, ski there and have some time in Tokyo as well. Mm. So Japan in a nutshell. Japan in winter. Sounds like a great thing to do. Talking travel. Thank you. Thank you, Sally Lucas. We'll be back talking travel again next Friday after the one o'clock news or catch us as a podcast on on www.2nurfm.com, Talking Travel, on Easy Listening 103.7.